Hi, my name is Clay Toomey and I am an ambassador for the Enneagram Prison Project. Over the next 12 months or so, I'm going to be speaking with various people who have played roles throughout the years with uh, Enneagram Prison Project. And today I'm going to be speaking with the founder of EPP and my friend, Susan Olesic. Well, this is fun. I have a whole, well, now it's like eight minutes short of an hour and a half, but basically like a whole hour and a half to just sit here and I know, chat. It takes, it takes a podcast for you and I to actually get to chop it up sometime. <laughs> yeah, I was actually going to try to like start, I was thinking of like, what's the best way to be funny early? And I've had all these jokes running through my head and I already, we were already talking, so I can't use them, but I was, th- this is what I was thinking. I was like, I could probably say something like, wow. I got to figure out how I'm going to fill a whole hour and a half because we never <laughs> talked that long. But <laughs> the reality is it's like, I don't think we ever have spoken like less than that unless it was literally, Hey, I only have five minutes, blah, blah, blah. got to go by. Yeah. I find like even that. those don't usually work for five. No, I don't yeah. know that it's ever been five. It's, it's <laughs> probably not even like at the airport where, Hey, I'm out here by G eight or whatever terminal. And even those probably, you might not like this um connection that i'm about to make but i have my my children have put me in touch with um the new york times uh i can't think what it's called the daily by michael babaro and he has that way of of speaking where pretty much everything he says sounds like it's got you on the edge of your seat because it's so interesting and intense (laughs) And you, in a different way, have that same kind of gravitas when you speak about whatever. So I do feel like uh, um, even if it's five minutes, it still feels like that was a good five minutes. It's the feeling is mutual. And I like that. I I, I feel like I'll accept that as a compliment, even though I'm not sure whether it was or not. But (laughs) I I just don't know how you feel about the New York Times. I don't I don't feel about it. It's just words on a paper. And I don't read those words, actually. And not because of who wrote them or where they're published. I just I choose to not really read a whole lot of news these days. And I like uh, I like the idea of being able to just, I don't know, collectively get uh, news from everybody and kind of suss out like what means what and who says what and why they say it and all that other stuff. So I don't feel like I can, I don't know if this is just me becoming like a, um, a grouchy old man or, you know, suspicious of everything around me, but I just really don't feel like there's a whole, anything that sells ads or advertisements or, or drives itself based on ratings. I'm just probably not going to be super excited to check it out and I'll take it in from like an entertainment standpoint or just for the sake of being open to the world. But generally speaking, I kind of just would rather talk to people and hear their experiences. And, you know, if, if something happens then obviously I'm on Google looking it up, you know, uh, for, for better or for worse. I mean, news is out there. It's kind of silly to hide from it, but I don't have an opinion about the New York times. I know they have killer crossword puzzles or at least that's the rumor. That is the rumor. I'm not actually a a New York Times crossword puzzle doer, but it is to me really interesting that you just said what you did about not liking or not necessarily reading the news and that you like to get your news from everyone. Um, I've been realizing a little bit more about myself. Well, I've always known that I was news paper and news averse, I think largely because it's so negative often. And even though it's information, I I live with, you know, Mr. Information Gatherer, where often Rick will, if you ask him something, he'll say, I know everything that's fit to print because he literally has read everything he can get his eyes on. And I'm really different. I don't, I I have been uh, averse to to the news. I I know more now because I, I think I like my idealism. I like my happy bubble and I, it often gets burst and uh, it's just my own, you know, type wanting to defy reality and live where I live. And sometimes uh, that serves me and sometimes it doesn't. I feel like in, in this position, if, if this was a panel, I, I, I could say, and by the way, I listened to a panel a few times this morning that we'll get to later, but I, my, what's running through my head right now is, and how does that serve you? Or, or the flip side <laughs> of that, how does that not serve you or whatever? Cause I've been asked so many gonna, times. 
We're going to call this podcast The Tables Are Turned. The Tables Are Turned. My, 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 <laughs> how the turns have tabled, as what's-his-name said. But yeah. It serves me because I I want to live in the way I want the world to be. And if I'm not clouded by all the other stuff people are, are telling me about the world, then I can stay where I am. And, you know, for EPP, sometimes that's really helpful. And sometimes that's really not. So... Uh, do you think that there are literally nine different ways to to answer that question of how does it or or do you actually i guess probably wouldn't have to because not all nine types are avoiding the news i suppose i don't know i started asking a question and then halfway through didn't like it because it didn't really it didn't fit it didn't fit what i was wanting to know because as a type so like you're not reading the news and i'm not reading the news but they're for two totally different reasons like like broad strokes you know just just looking at it from a big picture kind of way yeah, I do think there's nine different ways of why that is. Maybe 27, uh, depending on how you slice it. And, you know, I am still reading the news. Just let the record show. I, I do push myself to at least listen to Michael Favaro every morning. What if they didn't call it the Enneagram and they just started calling it three cubed? Because everything is three times three and then more threes on top of threes and... Uh, the world of threes with the Enneagram. <laughs> or the world of three. I'm surprised nobody's done that yet. Yeah, I hear they like to market things. You and heard s- it here first. <laughs> so what's new? You, you talk about this EPP thing, and, and this is, uh, we're 11 months out from a certain anniversary, I suppose, next year around this time. We're actually talking on the 10th. It's May 10th right now, but I think. So like uh, all the way back to day. So people know that I met you in the prison uh, where you first taught um the enneagram i think a lot of people know that and if they didn't then they do now if they just heard me say that but i think what what a lot of people don't know i actually wasn't in the very first class you went to texas and and taught i want to say november of 2009 does that sound about right yes exactly november i did not i was at that prison a few weeks later, December of 09. That's when I got there. And then I went through the first class in January of 2010. And so on and so forth, you know, on it went. But how did you how did you even get to the point to where you were, you know, this Enneagram teaching lady out from California in a prison in just a few hours, or I guess not even a full hour outside of Houston, Texas? Well, the the absolute truth is I wasn't an Enneagram teaching lady much or any Enneagram teaching anything. I was um, a mom and still am of three boys. And I had learned the Enneagram in a parenting class. And I've been using it for, um, for nine years at that time, I guess going on 10. And I had found it really, really helpful. And then I had um, just in the two years before I got that invitation to come to prison, been certifying as an Enneagram teacher with um, Palmer Daniels. Uh, it wasn't called the narrative Enneagram at the time, but that's where I got my certification through. And uh, I was just trying to um, spend more of my adult brain on things that had to do with the Enneagram because I loved it and I, I used it and I I knew that it was something that was going to be part of whatever I did when my kids got a little bit bigger. And then when I finished certifying, I also felt really compelled to do something like put it into some kind of practice. So I hung out my shingle like with my friends and their, a couple of their friends in my living room. I had, you know, six, eight people coming on a regular basis. And I was really hard pressed just to do that. I got invited to teach it. I was at the time I was a, I was going to church and I, I went to uh, do a workshop with I think 40 people in that church and it stressed me. I was, it was a big deal for me. And then that was like literally a couple, you know, I don't know, months into it, I got invited to Texas and I said, yes, cause that just floats my social one boat in a big way. <laughs> so I'm curious when I always wonder how people get into prison as as like voluntarily get into prison not criminally get into because that's an easier question to answer but like (laughs) there are there is a certain like i feel there's some people who are just called to do certain things like they just like they feel a desire to serve a population whether it's incarcerated or any other population and then they find a way to make that work or make it happen or whatever and correct me if i i don't want to put like words in your mouth but as i hear it it sounds like 
prison wasn't really on the radar necessarily. It's the Enneagram that that got you in there because uh, you were a teacher and and somebody invited you to, to teach, right? It wasn't like you had, uh, and, and like I said, please correct me if this is not accurate, but it doesn't sound like it was, I want to serve the incarcerated and this is how I'm going to do it. It was more like, I just want to serve people and oh, by the way, they're inviting me to prison. Is that fair to, to say uh, it that, that way? Is- that's true. I didn't have, I wasn't ever seeking out how to get myself into prison. I have always been a social justice seeker. I have always been somebody who feels convicted by things um, that affect the masses and especially things that are unfair. And, you know, like when I was in college, I studied sociology. My emphasis was on women's studies. And I, um, applied to the Watson Foundation as a graduating senior to study the subject of my choice in the country of my choice for 12 months. And I proposed to study the sex trade in, um, at the time I called it the Far East, yeah, in Asia. And I uh, was selected as an alternate, which meant that I, if somebody else didn't get there, I think they gave $10,000 at the time to go study that, that I could end up doing that. And so, you know, very likely could have ended up there. I think my parents might have been relieved that I wasn't doing that, but I'm not so sure how much happier they were that I was going to prison <laughs> instead. But I think it was always in me to, I got really excited, con- convicted kind of about that. Oh yeah, that's that's the place I want to put my energy. It just didn't even, it's not even a question, just a hell yeah. So the first time you went to, to prison, by that point, obviously you're probably already already stoked about it to some extent you flew out from california so you had there's like a build-up to it it wasn't like you just popped up in a jail like randomly one day and this particular facility and i can say from experience because i live there um it's not the it's not the roughest it's not the roughest yard in the country it's it's a pretty chill it's a pre-release what they call a pre-release facility i mean there's there's dudes who've done some pretty bad stuff to get there i mean there's murderers and all the whole the whole list of all the bad crimes those dudes are there but they, they got one foot out the door because they're either they've served their time or they're getting close to making parole or whatever but i don't know if you really i don't know if you know that coming in or, or if they as we say laced you up you know to that or whatever but when you're when you're coming in to prison for the first time well i assume that, that was literally your first time stepping in to a jail or prison of any kind but um are you nervous about it are you like excited about it what's what does it feel like i don't know i remember what i was feeling like the first day i was about to go to jail but it was different circumstances to say the least so what's going through your head when you're like all right i'm about to go in here and do this thing honestly don't remember feeling i don't know if i can say any but much at all trepidation in the way of the prison part the, I wasn't. I didn't feel scared by that. I felt excited. I didn't feel nervous, like uh, uh, or apprehensive, at, uh, because of the fact that it was a facility. I didn't feel any of that. I didn't. I didn't. Um, I did feel really, really terrified that I wouldn't remember the enneagram enough. <laughs> that I didn't know all the stuff. I did feel a lot of um, self doubt and. Um, yeah, all those all those sorts of things. But in terms of the prison part, I just felt very sure that that was where I wanted to be and like kind of impatient to get there. And um, going through, you know, for, for me on the on the outside to go in, it's a little tiny room with just a few people in there, a metal detector, a very, you know, a lot of um, almost like camaraderie with the the people checking me to go in. And I had a person that was real familiar with the prison before me. And I realized I had a lipstick in my back pocket. And I, all of a sudden I had that like type one terror that I was going to like be in so much trouble for trying to smuggle something like that in. And I realized in that it took me. Yeah, he brought in <laughs> a uh, chapstick. So the two of us, you know, I just didn't get those kinds of things. That's the stuff that stressed me. And, and I actually remember after going through the sally port and then going in not they call it that but like no it's a sally port i giggled because of how every time i hear somebody say you know when when god closes one door he you know he'll when he'll <laughs> open another and i so when i i think about it backwards when i hear sally port i think well yeah it's called sally port 
So I always think about that. So sorry to interrupt, <laughs> but when I hear Sally Port, I think of that phrase and it's just silly. And that's what it's like to live in my brain sometimes. <laughs> I just remember when the door did close and I was in the, in the hallway of the prison, which was extremely meticulous. It felt like shiny floors and actually silent. There weren't people milling around. People were in the different rooms and different parts of the facility. I had no idea where I was. It was just, it was echoey and quiet and shiny. And I felt very still inside myself. I felt like, oh, okay, um, I'm here. So, and, go, so before that, you're you're cool with it, but I don't know if I've ever actually asked what your family thought about it. Like your kids at that point, if my memory or my notebook serves correctly, they, I think they were twelve, seven, and five. So it's probably not the most like normal conversation to have with your kids. But what about Rick? Like, it, what does he think? I don't know. It's just one of my first thoughts as a guy on the inside watching, you know, somebody's wife teach dudes in prison. Like, I want, I wonder what their family's thinking about. Like, do they, are they, are they scared for their mom? Are they worried about their wife? Are they, you know, like, I, I don't, did y'all ever have, I mean, surely there was some conversation there, but is it, is it, I'm just curious what that was like. I don't know. I'd be terrified for my spouse to be going into a prison where I could not do anything to help him if something went wrong, you know? Is a good question for Rick. And also an interesting thing as a fellow head type that you too might have some, you know, shared sentiments around. I don't know. I, it's not that we've never talked about it. I think um, one thing that's really nice in my relationship with Rick is there's a lot of freedom to do the stuff that we want to do. And we've always had that with each other. And it was, it was no telling me I'm not going. It wasn't like a permission, you know, we don't have yeah. that kind of relationship anyway, right. but it wasn't even like a, um, he, he didn't have any of these, well, have you thought about, you know, are you sure you want to do that? It, yeah. He did ask the questions though, that I didn't ask myself, which is another thing I appreciate about our dynamic is he comes from that orientation of, safety security where I, I come more with this, you know, body type wanting my own autonomy. And, um, he, he would ask more of the safety kinds of questions. I can't even come up with one right now. That's how little yeah. they stayed with me, maybe to satisfy <laughs> him, but I didn't have it. So I didn't pay attention to it. He may have quite a bit to say that yeah. I don't know about. It probably speaks to my bringing the way that I thought about that. When I, when I finally met Rick, Rick uh, a couple years later or whenever it was, it was so obvious, like, oh, that's why. Like, this dude's a rock star in his own right. And the way that he is and the way that you... There's the way that every everything out there where you guys are is different than how I grew up. And so there was some... Like, I shouldn't have been wondering some of those things anyways because it's just, it's just, like, so old school and, like... I don't know. There's probably a polite word to say for it. But it's... I just... I, I was wondering, like, why... I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm almost ashamed to like say it out loud what I was thinking, but really it was just like, how could somebody let their like wife just go do this? And it's just not okay to think that way, obviously. But that's at 2010, I'm in prison and I always lived in the South and that's just incorrectly how I thought about things. And then when I met Rick, I was like, God, this dude's a badass, man. And not the kind of badass that I grew up thinking was a badass, you know? Um, I, I will definitely ask him about that. Cause I'm, I'm curious and I, I would, I would guess that he probably, would probably remember some of those concerns. And I just wonder what, I don't know. I wonder what that's like. Cause I, I don't, I didn't have the same kinds of fears when I was getting arrested and going to jail. I had concerns and stuff like that, but, um, I don't know. I, I can relate to that sense of, I guess, excitement or being eager to, or just like, this is where I belong. As silly as that sounds like some of those phrases fit me too, by the way except I was going to go live there. Um, and yeah, I'm kind of just like shifting straight into something. Cause I don't want, I want to get to this like soon. So I don't run out of time, even though we've still got like an hour. Um, but in that prison where you taught the Enneagram, one of my favorite things that ever happened with EPP, even though EPP didn't have its name yet was this Sally panel that we did. And it's my favorite thing. One of my favorite things to talk about for a few reasons. One, it was, I'm just a nerd who's, you know, I got the typical like five thing going on in my head sometimes where I just love a good puzzle. And you wanted to do this, uh, Selly panel, which is like a spinoff of the, of the popular thing to do out here in the free world where, you know, what is it like 
seeing relationships through the lens of the Enneagram or, or however you want to phrase that, where how do different types survive as couples? And obviously that's not a thing in, in prison, but, but talking as like cellies, what's it like for different types to live together? And it was recorded. Like we had the ability to record that in there. And I actually, if you don't mind, I would like to play some of that and see if you'd like to, uh, to talk, to talk through some of it. I want to say in this moment, Jeff Lamone, I feel you. Because we did this to, to Jeff in a different way, played something that he recorded while he was in prison in front of a live audience in Portugal. And he nodded like I'm nodding to Clay. Yeah. And I have not listened to this for many, many years. And I, I, don't ha- know I haven't it. pressed play yet. I, it's, I, can close, I can close the window and totally. Oh, no, I'm in. You know I'm in. Yeah. I had a feeling. So, yeah, I know you like preparation and being planned and all that, uh, everything. <laughs> so, and that's why I didn't tell you, but <laughs> all right, I'm just going to press play from the beginning. And if you want me to, if you want me to stop or pause, or if you want to say something, just, just talk over it and I, I can pause it uh, and let me know if the volume's not okay. All that good stuff. But yeah, here you go. Um, we have a, I just want to say, cause nobody else can see this. As soon as the um came out, the hand went to the face that was the most like face palm ever all right i'm sorry i had to i just i wanted to nobody would know that that happened if i didn't say that because this is not going to be video recorded but yeah here we go um we have a special panel for those of you that don't know so if you can if you're on our special panel you can come and join it and the rest of you if you could kind of find your way back and put the seats back that'd be great okay so uh this is how this is going to work we have, uh, we have a Selly panel, if you hadn't figured it out yet. Because the question that I get all the time is, yeah, but what about in relationship? Yeah, but how has it happened when, you know, my, my friend does this to me or whatever? So this is the closest we can do to relationship because, you guys, if you live together, that's just about as uh, irritated as you can get with somebody, right? Because you pretty much show your true colors after you've shared cell space with someone. What the hell gave you the idea to do like a relationship type panel in prison honestly as i'm sitting here i'm thinking what was she thinking (laughs) oh my god i mean i was so uh, it's not brave it's not like courageous because i feel like i didn't i didn't really um think it all the way through as i as i sit here in this seat i'm i'm trying to i even though i was there trying to remember like what what happened on that panel and it is so ripe with who knows what's going to come out of people's mouths so what prompted it really was what i'm saying right there to everyone it's what everybody asks is what everybody wants to know and i think maybe what i was doing was self-preserving i was trying to figure out how to let people get their questions answered without trying to be an expert about something that i didn't know that the the best way I, I am at my best, I feel, when I am able to respond real time to con- content and to facilitate rather than to try to deliver material like download it from or just you know teach and teach it yeah. for so I, I think that's what I was doing. I, I totally see that too. I think that you your your capacity to remember things is unreal and you're it's but I totally agree with that idea that you're 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 you seem more about finding what's there and then talking about it than just delivering a presentation which is why you're such a badass by the way it's one of the many (laughs) reasons that you're so awesome because it lends itself well to like just having the conversation that needs to be had rather than just saying words that you rehearsed i'm a fan all right there's more and again there's there's a few more clips that i wanted to let you hear and you you can tap out whenever but if you don't say anything i'm gonna go ahead and press play oh this and was a- this was uh the program where we all had sweet names do you remember the sweet names i i didn't remember all of them yeah well the <laughs> I, just the idea of the we all had names instead of being called like killer and you know all these prison names we all had names like pumpkin pie and you know 
rubber ducky and stuff like that. And what was yours, Clay? Pumpkin pie, yeah. Uh-huh. And it was only because I have a big head. I don't like pumpkins and I don't like pie. It's just they saw me like, oh, that's a big old pumpkin head. They call me pumpkin pie. So there was a little bit of hazing vibes to it. Uh, but there mm-hmm. were, they were the idea, the sweet name um, was to just sweeten people up. So it's like a bunch of hard dudes, like, like chill out a little bit. But yeah. And I'm a two. Okay. So this is everybody kind of introducing themselves on panel. Can you pass the mic down? AKA Cotton Candy, uh, I'm an eight. Joe Chance, AKA Ballerina, and I'm a three with a strong four wing. James, AKA Candy Kitty, uh, I'm a six, man. My name is Clay Toomey, AKA Pumpkin Pie, I am a five. I'm Gary, AKA Purple Peacock, and I'm a seven. This is Samuel. He's feeling kind of small. Oh, that today. was somebody who hadn't showed He's up a three. yet. <laughs> My name is Stanley, aka Juicy Fruit, and I am a one with a two wing. I am Mark, aka Cinnabon. Uh, I am a type nine. And by the way, you did something very interesting here that I don't think I've seen you do, do since. Is that you actually turned? the panel over to the to the people in the class and said do you guys have any questions that you want to ask okay do we have our first question for our panelists i'll start you off if nobody's brave enough to ask yet really you're not tired of me come on <laughs> so, See, this is again me looking for uh help out on the panel that's probably what i did so do so I don't know. What's it like hearing all this, by the way? Because it ha- it's been th- we're we're in May of 2021. This was recorded. This panel was May of 2010. So this is actually 11 years ago that this that this happened. And I'm curious what it feels like hearing all that. Honestly, it's touching me. I I was so in love with the um, the moment and the people and what was happening and what had been happening. This isn't what we did, you know, the first minute I got there. We'd been through all nine types. We had an afternoon. This is like the closing of our time there. I had been experiencing what propelled me to found Enneagram Prison Project, which was I I was falling in love with people who were falling in love with themselves. And at the same time, I was falling in love with me. And I had no idea, I had no words for all that. I just, I can feel like my, I'm a little just a little tearful, honestly, hearing it. And partly because I can hear, um, even from their check-in, you can hear the the type nine. It's like, yep, you are <laughs> a type nine. Just the pace, the cadence, the, you know, the, the thoughtfulness. And, um, and I'm also having a little bit of a, okay, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It's what my first uh, fear is that, did I mess up? Did I, you know, I still have that type one thing. And so, What's also happening is I'm kind of thawing and remembering it was beautiful in there. It was, and I'm glad it, I'm glad it, we had, we had a computer there in the room with us that we could record all this with. Cause I don't know. I remembered some of this way less accurately than I would have expected. Cause mm-hmm. what, I want to hear, hear the, so that speaking of the type nine, he lit up his uh, type one celly pretty good. I don't know how much you remember, I remember about that. that. I do. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not going to go through the whole panel cause it was a, it was nearly an hour long and, and just would get in the way of all the other things I want to talk about. But, um, there basically there was like, um, he, he was saying how messy and you know, he, he said, uh, actually, I think I have that, um, time stamped. I was going to listen to me talking about my silly, but I suddenly don't really care about that too much. <laughs> and I want to go straight to what, um, what the nine was saying he because the one so the one and the nine were were sellies roommates and it was like uh the one just was like yeah mark was so cool he's easy to live with nice guy clean house um you know all this stuff and mark when you said okay well how was it asked the type nine how was it like living with with stanley and that's what I'm going to try to find right now. Do you remember what the, um, what the response was when you asked him what it was like living with, uh, with, with Stan? And more of his, his true experience came out and how, how hard it was. Yeah. And I 
think it's 2925. Whatever, but I saw this big old dude, but you know, right off the bat, he seemed like he was really cool. So this is the type I mean, one. He was laid about back. The type nine. Uh, he had a lot of towels all over the floor because, I mean, the wall was leaking. I probably don't know how long, probably because he never said anything about it. You know, so, but like, other than that, I mean, I mean, he was just really, really laid back. He had left and went, didn't you leave and go a medical chain? And you just came back on medical chain or something, wasn't it? For for your leg. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, a few things happened and he got separated. And when he got separated, it was like, what? I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it because he was like in the same house as me. And I was like, oh, no, you know. How did I not know? You know what I mean? I was like, uh-oh. You yeah, didn't so, see that coming. Oh, I never saw it coming. Mark, Mark's like a really good dude. He was like always busy doing homework. He, he'd stay on his... And for those who are wondering, separated just means removed from that, from that program until the next class. So he, uh, the, the Type 9 um, wasn't living up to the standards of the class, and so they separated him from the class, and he got to try again the next uh, the next class stay on his desk constantly i mean he had a lot of homework too though but he he's like the homework king he had he had you had yeah like homework on everything but he, i mean he stayed busy he was he was into it he did it he took care of it um i remember he, he used to play his radio a lot his radio would be playing on spanish music all the time you know i'd walk in it, it he, he just like he stayed in the house a lot i'd walk in and and it, it didn't really bother me. I needed some me time, you know, but I was never really stressed out about it because I could just hang out and it, it was like he wasn't even there, you know. Nines have that way of just almost, you know, they can feel invisible. And sometimes that's a strength, especially when you're close quarters. And then in the rest of the in the real world, right, or when you're out here in the rest of the work and PEP, um, it's not so great to be invisible, right? You want to be noticed probably. Yeah, but the the Spanish music thing was cool because you know I was he was he it surprised me when he was surprised when I told him I was cool listening to it because I liked it too. It was uh-huh. no big deal for me. So is that a way for you to narc out, Mark, with your music? Let's yes, hear. Sometimes uh, tell me about that. Uh, well, living with uh, Stanley for what two months or a month was like was like hell. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Be- before he moved in, my house was clean. <laughs> and for more context, by the way, not only was this this type nine loved by he was just a big teddy bear and everybody liked him. And I think the opposite was true for the one he was not as liked. So to hear him get lit up, you can I don't know if you can hear the class, but everybody's just cracking up and kind of enjoying because of who it is. Which probably, I don't know if you had any um, like emotion, emotional reaction or connection to, to any of that, being that it was a type one that that was happening to, but it was, it was, it was way more uncomfortable than, than the recording kind of shows. Or I Oh, know. I was uncomfortable. I was, I was also, um, well, I'm, I'm always uncomfortable no matter who the person is that is potentially um, going to be in something shameful. I don't like that. I don't want that. I facilitate around that. And I, I won't spoil the end because I remember what I did with this too. I was That's coming up next, by the way. For, I that ready. Yeah, I was worried for um, the type one's inner experience. The way I went in to teach the Enneagram was not about teaching about the bad things or laughing at anyone. I didn't... Um, I mean, if you think about how few safety things I put around this panel, actually, even letting the questions come over time, I changed that practice because I I learned the hard way that people often project their own difficult things onto the people that are courageous enough to be speaking on panel, and then they just unload, and that's really not safe for panelists. However, I was (laughs) pretty green. So I I also think that interesting things can happen, like the one that was just unfolding right there. (laughs) And I was cringing inside for how hard it would be for me to be um, in front of everybody recorded, right? And this, how many people are in the room, do you think, Clay? A hundred? There were, I think it was at least a hundred who were in the class, like current participants of the class. And then there were also graduates from previous classes, which had to be another 40 or 50 people. So if I had to guess, I would say no less than 140 and probably more like 150 or 160. 
It's an entire community that this is happening in front of. And, and I'm, I'm aware that the panel is going to end. And I'm going to get on a plane and go back to California. And this man is going to be in it with everyone. This is the and, end of the whole weekend. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So there's no, not any more bringing the class together that I can do after this. I'm just feeling all of that coming down and wondering, can he take it? Have we done enough? Um, has he done enough internal work for he be able to receive this feedback inside himself? So the nine carried on and with, um, with the giggles and laughs and everything, it was actually fueling him, not in a mean way or a sadistic way. He felt liberated, like, oh, this is okay for me to say because the noises that I'm getting from the crowd is like, it's telling me that this is okay. So he kept going and he felt more, and he even said like, I've never, this is the most I've ever talked since I've been here. And it was kind of, it was like on one hand, it was adorable if you only looked at him because he was experiencing some things that he hadn't really experienced. And he didn't, I don't think he, it was not intentional that he was just completely, <laughs> it was a brutal thing that he was un unaware of, I think. And well, that's how anger works, right? For the nine is underground. And he didn't probably even realize how much he had been suppressing, yeah. repressing, holding, ignoring, denying. So after all that, um, you, you, you made a comment to him, something about, uh, Oh, cause he was like, yeah, he would cry. He would do this. He would do that. Blah, blah, blah. And I don't have this queued up, but you said, I'm, I'm never going to, you're like, I'm never going to be able to, and it was kind of a joke, but it, all just a realization, like, I'm never going to be able to get another silly panel after this. Like it was, do you, I don't know if you remember saying that, but it was, it was, and he, and his response to that was, oh, it's fun. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, he was like, <laughs> well, you know, I'm having the time of my life. And as he was done and you kept asking him questions. Mm -hmm. Like what was good about living with Stan? What was you kept trying to at least wrap it up with something positive, and it never went there. He just kept like, like, like ranting basically with a smile, and uh, and this is where it ended. Uh, uh, talk of that I ever been, huh? That's where you said I'm the most. I, I think I've talked more today than ever. Yeah, he's like, give me the mic back. Stan says, <laughs> let's pass it on. I was gonna say, so I have to say. Just in, in support of my brother, the one over there, that is an awful lot of constructive feedback that just came his way. And I think that our one needs a round of applause, too. Thank you very much. So in, in case he's too in, uh, in touch with his anger right now, I'm going to just ask you to uh, really I'm going to ask let you have a chance to respond. But in a second. So we're going to pass the mic all the way back this way, if you will, so that you can have a few deep breaths. And I'm, I'm suddenly aware that I wonder if, if me playing this and listening to it in this, in this format is triggering to you as it might've been for Stanley hearing all that from his old silly. I don't know. Or do you have any thoughts around that at all? I'm not sure what connection you mean triggering. I mean, for like, me, how? like, I, I don't know. I, I, this was like a funny, not funny, but I don't remember this as like, bad or like i don't stand yeah, it was kind of brutal but i don't i don't have any like negative connection to the memory of it and i don't and i don't i'm not saying that you do or should or would or but i'm just i'm making sure that this is like okay like we're good like it's, oh it's so okay but what i what i feel is um the things that i've learned since since the panel and I, some of them i already said around safety and what we do and don't do as panelists and how much time it would take to unpack all the things that just got laid out right by this very honest type nine. And I just, I think that um, what I might say today is turn to the, to the group that's enjoying this so much and say, so this is reactivity. And this is what happens when we aren't able to say what we feel in the moment. And you know, can you think of a time for yourself when you've not been um, totally honest with all that you might have been experiencing? And there's not a single person in that room or anybody that's listening to this podcast that can answer that question honestly in the negative. Everybody always has some things in their life that they can look back on like that. So I would bring more of the relatability. And um, 
And I'm not sure that I wouldn't do again what I did, what I was attempting to do for the type one, which is to give them a second because um, I know how it is for me when I'm not seen in the light that I want to be seen in. This was not a positive light. This was a lot of information that type one never had heard before. And I know we get, when we feel wronged, we want to fix it and we want to fix it in a kind of righteous way. And, and sometimes we can do harm by answering too fast. And I wanted to let him, if he could find his ground. And, uh, that, that was the olive branch I was attempting to extend. As a student, like, you know, me sitting in class, those little, those little, uh, like little phrases, like just take a few breaths. Like I, those are like major learning experiences for me. Cause I know you, you, you told us even back then, you know, the magic of 11 seconds, you know, and gave explanations to that in way more detail than I can just off the top of my head right now. But I understand the value of like just chilling and taking a few breaths and letting things happen as they happen. And I've needed that a ton of, and it's been 11 years since this. I've needed it so many times I couldn't even possibly begin to count. And it's, uh, it's kind of nice having that little, little tool in the old tool belt there. Um, and I don't know. Well, there's I, a I, lot of science behind that. It does help. It definitely helps. So that's all about the, uh, the Sally panel. Have you, have you ever thought to do another one since, or have you ever tried to do another one since? I haven't had another, not another good chance, just the way our classes fill. You, you, we needed, we needed to have actually what you provided clay, which is at the break, you weren't in the class that I was teaching. I was sort of lamenting, well, I wish we could have like a relationship panel and you in your very can-do way said, <laughs> well, we could. And yeah. then you disappeared and you came back with a typed list of every person <laughs> and their celly and a bio and their type for me. And I thought, holy cow, like you, you weren't kidding. And, um, and I remember, I don't know if it was on this panel or if it was somebody, something someone said in there, but... Sally's often talked about their relationships, which is probably what prompted this. And I remember one Sally saying, um, he was a type two. Maybe it was on this panel. Was it about Because I feel like, I, yeah, the, yeah, the two and the eight. And the, Sally, the two is saying, I, um, I just really always want to, you know, figure out what he needs and try to get it for him. And, you know, I'm like, do you want some coffee? Do you want this? Do you want that? Or maybe the eight was saying that about himself. And, um, and he said, you know, it's like, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to like tell him yes. Like even if I wanted the coffee, I wasn't about to let him know that I wanted it. And I thought that's it right there. That's the power triad, the two and the eight, both wanting something to, you know, kind of hold power over the other, mm -hmm. not consciously, but like for a two, that means I'm connected, right? For a type eight, that means I got some, some agency. And I think those things are so fascinating. That's, that's to me what, that's the point of the Enneagram is to try to understand how to apply it and how to see it in action and how to see like, well, what would be so vulnerable about your Sally knowing that you were wanting that cup yeah. of coffee and being vulnerable enough to receive something that he had for you, right? What's so hard? And you even said like, you know, maybe sometimes throw him a bone, let him make you a cup of coffee. <laughs> like that phrase stuck out, like just throw him a bone, let him make you a cup of coffee. And, uh, I want, I don't know, where does the five fit in all that? Cause it's in that, in that same triad. How, how does it, you know, I don't drink coffee and I'm probably not making somebody else coffee, but if I did, how, how would, how would a five fit into that, into that? If it was, if either of those guys were my celly. I think you would be able to answer it best, but what I understand about fives, it's, it's much more about knowledge and I might have something that, you know, and maybe I share it with you and maybe I don't. And actually I talk about the thing that you said to me way back then in Texas, where I think it might've been on a panel where you said, um, you know, people will want to know stuff from me. Like they might say, what'd you have for breakfast? And I'd say, who the F wants to know? <laughs> Why are you like, asking? I'm not going to tell you. Why are you asking me that? What color are your socks? You know, piss off, right? You just yeah. don't let people know stuff unless you do want them to. And then I always contrast that with how we um, ended up at the first IEA conference with you and Elam on panel. And you said, and I quote, you carte blanche, you know, you, you got, you got the keys, you can ask whatever you want. And that's how you showed up with your open heart. So it's actually not about the socks or what you had for breakfast yeah. or every detail of your life. It's about your inner state. And that when you feel connected and in control as a five, then you're very open and disclosing. 
Yeah, Does that feel a, true for you? A hundred percent. And it's, and it's, and I, I probably use different terminology for it, but it means the same thing. I, it's about trust for me. And, and I laughed as soon as you brought that up because it's, it wasn't even two nights ago. A um, guy at work comes over and asks me, you know, Hey, do you got your phone on you? This is a, he's a, he's my supervisor. And he, he says, Hey, you got your phone on you? I said, yeah, what's up? He goes, uh, open it up real quick. I said, why? He said, well, you have the, and then uh, the app that we have where we clock in, log, we log our hours and all that stuff. We do all that on a, on an app on our mobile device. He says, you got the such and such app, right? I said, yeah. He goes here. I need to look, I need you to look, look something up real quick. Make sure it's there. And the conversation is about, so I, I work Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's my schedule. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, overnights, you know, every, every week. And this week they added a day. So I'm going to work Wednesday. He was wanting to make sure that Wednesday was on my schedule. And the way that he was going about it, I don't like conversations to go like that. I don't, I don't particularly trust this guy. You know, he's never done anything. I just, it's a work relationship. He's more aggressive than I like. And he's the kind of guy where he says, Hey man, what kind of socks you wearing? I want to know why he's asking me that before I tell him. So I connected the dots. I'm just, I'm good at that. So I, I, when he asked me to open the app up, I said, are you wanting to know if Wednesday's on my schedule? He's like, yeah, I said, it is already looked, you know, I'd looked like 30 minutes prior to that. And that was the end of the conversation. And so he was fine with like, once I gave him his information, like there was no like power trip or butting heads or anything like that. He was coming at me at one direction and I just didn't like it because I don't trust, I don't know him well enough to trust what he's doing with this information. So, Hey, you got your phone on you? Yeah, I got it. You got this app? Yeah, I got that. Like, I want to start with is Wednesday on your schedule? Like that's where the conversation for me needs to begin unless I have that rapport or that relationship or that trust or whatever, which is why when we do stuff, like I, I'm fine telling you, Hey, I, and it's, and it's more in later years. It's, it's this trust is still there. And then also I just understand the importance of boundaries and also the ability to express when something is not okay to talk about. And that is such a, I guess to use the word powerful, um, feeling for me to just know that like you can, I can do an interview on ESPN radio and tell the guy, Hey dude, ask me literally everything that comes to your mind. And I trust my boundaries enough that I'll let you know if I'm not going to answer a question. And I I've experienced that so much to this point that it's just okay. Like I'm, I'm comfortable with it. But in the early days, it was just like, I don't really, I trust you. And that's pretty much where all my trust is right now. And, you know, as time goes on, I can experience trust and other things like in addition to, right. Not, not instead of it makes life. Well, you went from ask, you know, you and only you. And then, you know, all these years out of prison, you didn't ask me anything literally. (laughs) I do think that's true where you can, you can (laughs) trust yourself so much. So, and sometimes I, uh, even even just sitting here chopping it up with you and you say, I got this thing, I'm going to play you. There's a, there's a little panic that goes <laughs> off. And what is that? That's just a, a little remnant of of something that may, you know, in one way or another always be there. But being able to come back, I think that's the ticket. I tell you, this is something that I, I think is, it's nice to experience when you can have that with more people. Like I feel that way. I've been on a few more panels with non-Susans you know, in the last few years. And, uh, and Dana is one of those people where I could just, I'm just like, dude, whatever I'm, I'm, you're, you're flying. I'm just riding shotgun. You can ask me anything you want. And there are other people within, you know, the project who I feel that way with. And Mm -hmm. it's really cool, man. It's, it's a feeling of, of, uh, it's just, it just feels good. And there's way more people now than there was back in May of 2010. It's quite a few actually. Right. There may be more and more, but you're the common denominator. Yeah. All right. So I'm so happy that we wriggle off of that spot. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, I'm (laughs) moonwalking. I'm I'm looking at my list. I don't know why I just did that. I I went straight from like, I feel okay and I'm good. And now I just like, all right, I want to go talk about something that's not me. 
I don't know. There's probably an explanation for that. And I'm going to keep talking so you don't get to tell me what the explanation is, but I'm kidding. (laughs) Uh, I, I have, so I have like phrases written down for notes and any of these that, that sound fun to talk about, let me know. And we'll just go there. The first one, the, actually this is a whole ass sentence is, uh, at what point did I'm one person turn into, we are several people teaching. So with regard to EPP, like at what point did it become, I'm the Enneagram lady. I know you never called yourself that, but that's what we called you. I'm the Enneagram lady here to teach the Enneagram to we are an organization and we're in a lot of places doing a lot of things. How did it go from, you know, Susan to EPP? Fragile. And in some places it feels a little bit overnight. And um, I think one of the most um, pivotal places was us becoming friends when you got out and a couple of other folks, um, because shout out to Facebook, was, by the way, the shout out to Facebook. <laughs> it was one thing to have a, a vision and a, <clears throat> excuse me, and an idea. Um, and I say this to the ambassadors a lot, but it's quite another for you to think it's a good idea and for you to say, yeah, let's do this. And I remember different places, particularly remember sitting outside of the Pete's coffee shop around the corner from where my son was in first grade and talking to you. And I was, I I knew I had, you know, whatever X amount of time before I had to go pick him up and, and just getting to know you. Like I, I didn't know you beyond having been on the panel and you giving me the, the gift of all that, you know, the the Selly panel all arranged for me and things like that. I trusted you too, but I wanted to share more and more and I wanted you to understand kind of what I, what I was seeing for the potential of the project. And every time I spoke with you, uh, like that was one of those never going to be five minutes. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh my God, he gets it. And I think, um, you understood things that I was trying to grasp too. And <laughs> like the extent and the, the, the pain of what you'd been through, what had happened to you in order to turn yourself in and do all that you had experienced and the people that you knew on the inside. There's so so much of that I will never fully get that you grasped and were patient with trying to explain to me. So when you said yes, just by way of reaching out, connecting with me and having those long conversations that where it was a distinct place where I'm only one um, mattered, it shifted. So there were more than just, I wasn't the only one. There were others, right? And as I don't know how, how, so there was me and there was Elam and there was also the guy that I mentioned a minute ago named Hector, a buddy of mine that I was, that we were all locked up at the same place. And the first, like you came out to Texas. Um, was it 2012? When was that, that we did the first video? The 2013? It was, it was between 12 and 13. And you, you flew to Houston to shoot the first, was it the first EPP video or is it EPP video? Um, how actually the first one was on the inside, right? That's when the crew went, that's when you're talking about. No, I was already gone when you did that one. That's the reason I don't remember that one because I I got out, I got out in August of 2010. And then I think you went back in like September or October or somewhere around there. And I had just gotten out. So you, all, you actually did a video on the inside before you did one on the outside, right? And was it, was, was EPP, did it have a name yet? Or was it still like, I'm trying to figure like, what's, what's going down? What are we doing? Is it going to be multiple people? It didn't, I don't think it did yet. And, um, but I, what happened there was I really was having um, so many conversations with people about what was happening, what I was witnessing on the inside. And I kept trying to figure out, I was always trying to figure out how I could put David Daniels in my back pocket and bring him (laughs) into that prison. But Texas is a long haul, you know, and David was really busy at the time. He always supported what I was doing and he would listen with like rapt attention when I was explaining it, but I really wanted for people to feel it and to see it. And I saw, a. A film that a guy named Joey had done, mm-hmm. and it made me cry. It had nothing to do with the Enneagram, but it had to do with 
folks on the inside. And I got in touch with Joey and I said, can you, can you make one of those for me on the Enneagram? And he was like, any of what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> and he just said yes, because he's, you know, who he is. And he didn't know the Enneagram. It didn't matter, but he, and, and, uh, and also Christy, my, my friend and connection from the inside helped to line up a group of, of men who were really, uh, she could witness taking the Enneagram to heart. And that was, that was really, really beautiful. Each person, um, I, I had like a mini interview with each person and I knew their types and I knew them, but you know, I was going for weekends several months apart. It wasn't like I was there every day. And I would ask them questions and they would just say all the right stuff because that's how the Enneagram works and their awareness was there. And, and then at the end, Christy turned to each of them and said, what was it like to work with Susan? And I didn't really expect what would happen to me that did happen, which was they all said these very um, beautiful things. And I could tell they were not scripted. They were straight from their hearts. And I was so uncomfortable receiving that. And I was realizing, oh, shit, I'm going to be, I'm going to be forced real time to be like true to my word and do what I've been asking them to do. Receiving is a muscle and let this in and let the other side be true and all that. Um, and it was, it was quite a moment where I realized if I didn't do that, then I was full of it. And I didn't want to be a full of it teacher. I wanted to be a true teacher. That was a big turning point for me too. What makes it hard to accept that kind of stuff from, from my perspective, I, I would, I would have loved it because I've, I've, I never felt like I got a whole lot of that kind of stuff. And I suppose everybody would have their reasons for running from stuff like they're avoiding it or not, like feeling uncomfortable, whatever. But I, I really struggled to relate to that. Cause I would just like, it was, it's always been like such a desperate need for me that I would have been like, fucking thank you. <laughs> like, please anything positive. I'll take it. What makes that uncomfortable in that moment to just accept all that? It's not unlike that moment we had five minutes ago when you said, I'm going to keep talking so you can't say anything. And I'm just going to ask the next question, right? Like there is a part of me that liked it. Of course, well, maybe not of course, but I, I definitely love to be told beautiful things about myself. And if I don't believe them, it's very hard to stay there because I think that's how ego works. Is ego keeps telling us this other version of ourselves. And the thing that I was hearing was incongruent with the story that I had. And so, um, when, when we are in those places, I think we're forced or we're invited to, nobody's forcing anything to reconcile, which one am I going to listen to? So I think that hearing things that are incongruent with the story that we have about ourselves is a real moment of having to reconcile what are we wanting to be more true and I wanted that to be true. I wanted their experience of the Enneagram to be true. I wanted them to have freedom inside of themselves. I really didn't want that as much for me as I wanted it for other people. And that was why I said yes to going in prison with so much uh, conviction, I think, because I think at the, at the unconscious level, I felt like if it could be true for them, that it could also be true for me. And I feel I identified in the past tense and still can like I identify with the type one on the panel who's doing all these unconscious things that are so hard for the people around him. And, um, I, th I think at that time I was so full of those self doubts and I had to make a, a pivot kind of on the spot. And every time I, every time I teach in prison, every time I was going to that prison that was happening for me, I was realizing People were adoring me and what I was teaching and what was happening for me and projecting all these beautiful, positive things onto me that were reflections of them. And I'm very skilled at and adept at, you know, deflecting that and referring that people back to themselves. What I think has, has grown over the years is I can look in the mirror a lot with a lot more presence now and I can, I can withstand that affection and receive it more than more than ever, but it took a lot of time. So I don't know if that answers your question, Clay. It does. I like the, I like the word withstand there. Cause I think of it as like a, like a 
it's not defensive, but it's like uh, being able to take it without it knocking you over. Is was there ever any? I don't know. I I've bitten off more than I can chew, kind of vibe or feeling or not or not even not even like big picture stuff, but just like oh, I'll never do that again, or that was I just missed that, you know, like live and learn kind of stuff, big or small. I don't know. Just anything that that comes to mind thinking of like uh like i don't know maybe even even if it was just like a fun little experience of well we tried but you know <laughs> well a couple things come to mind one one is not like i wouldn't do it again but i remember um a couple of years in having found an opportunity to pilot a, a program in elmwood and um where i met Alex and Vic and Renee eventually. Um, and Neelam Wadwani, who's now an advisory board member for EPP, um, she she was quite protective, I think, of the people that were gonna be in the program. And she, she watched me for a fair bit, wanting to understand what this, what my intentions were, I'm sure, what the Enneagram was, the program, and wanting to see how people came out of it. And I don't know how long into my volunteering at that uh, jail this happened, but at some point it became clear that it was it was effective and it was popular and there was demand. And then she started to open up to me and say, not open up, but like the the opportunities were opening up. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting um, in <laughs> in her office and knowing uh, same thing. I had to go pick up my son. Probably wasn't first grade anymore, but I have I had three children, you know, and. <laughs> in five in the space of five years so they were they were at all different ages and i had i was my first commitment was to be a really good mom and her saying could you teach here could you teach there we have six programs over here that could open up this part of the jail would like it and i all of a sudden i went back to my car and um i sat in the parking lot and i put my head back and i fell asleep (laughs) i've never really had that before and i this first time i really got that that's a defense and i I wasn't that tired that day, but the, I was only one person and I was trying to figure out how am I going to respond to that and where are all these guides going to come from? And that, this is, you know, many, many years ago, but that was a little bit of that. Like, what have I done? And, um, it didn't last that long. I mean, it lasted long enough to go get my boy (laughs) and go back again the next day. It's funny how many stories are like and i was on the way to get my kid or i had to go get my kid or one of my kids was at practice like there's there's not a lot of words that get said without my kid wiggling its way in there at some point mm-hmm. it's funny i've I've robbed a lot of banks and i've been inside of a bank knowing that i was about to rob it and have felt less panic than i feel right now knowing that i've only got another 10 or 15 minutes like just sitting here chatting which is a weird thing to say it's an like, interesting thing you just said. Likely a weird thing to hear, but it's just, it is what it is. But, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I wish, I wish we had more time to do stuff like this. This is whoever thought that this was a good idea needs a high five. Cause I, I like it. It's fun. It's a great idea, Clay. I'm glad you're part and you know, you've got my, my number. We can definitely, uh, I know how to figure out you. more times. Well, I'm aware, I know you have a heart out here in a few minutes and I want to leave space to just say anything that came to mind that there was never a question to, to, to answer with or anything, but is there anything left to, you'd like to throw out there? Just anything that's on your mind. I went in like you did feeling like I was just going to chop it up with you. Not that I had a, a whole things. I had a bunch of things to answer, but this is uh, what's what I'm looking at right now over the weekend, I heard someone say, we can only become as light as we have been dark. And I liked it so much. I wrote it down so that I would read it over and over again throughout the days. And I think that's, it's so deeply resonant with me that, um, it gives me a lot of, um, I think a lot of the the hope that I feel when I'm on the inside is working with people who have been, you know, raised in childhoods full of darkness and have really done 
maybe some very dark things. Um, I think it's that, that touch, not a touchstone, I guess it's not, but like a reference point for how bad things have been able been is what gives people such equanimity on the outside. I've heard um, ambassadors say this in, in their own way, all of them. Um, but like, I'm so grateful for how things are today because I know where I've been and I, I have perspective on what really matters and I can feel my own place in, in the world because I know where I'm not. And um, it's just, it, it, it strikes me. And I think that um, you are someone who's come through a lot of dark and you are someone who's here to shed a lot of light. And I love your voice. I love how you're amplifying different pieces of this project for people who might not have heard all the little nooks and crannies and turned over a few stones today too. <laughs> Thank you, Clay. 